You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of a lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Connor O'Shea. Connor was capped 35 times for Ireland and represented them at the 1995 and 1999 Rugby World Cups. After his playing career ended, he became Director of Rugby at London Irish and was awarded Zurich Rugby Director of the Season in 2002. He then joined Harlequins as Director of Rugby in 2011, leading them to win the Premiership in 2012. Connor then became the head coach of the Italian national team in 2016 and had immediate impact, leading the team in their first ever win over South Africa. He also led them into the 2019 Rugby World Cup in Japan. He is presently the England Rugby Union's Director of Performance. Connor is that rare breed of person who has played and coached rugby at the most elite level, the World Cup, and been able to succeed in off-field leadership positions, such as the National Director of the English Institute of Sport. He succeeds through his ability to empathise with people at all levels in the organisation and communicate with them in a way that engenders action and alignment. He is charismatic, engaging, and believes, in his words, in being all in on what you are passionate about. This translates into an innovative view of coaching, 
where he pushes his teams to move beyond the fear of failure to try and ultimately achieve things they haven't done before. This was a fun conversation and some of the key parts of it for me were his view on the need to look beyond your own ego and focus on the contribution you are making to the future success of the team or organization that you are a part of for that brief moment. The importance of a mix of personalities within the team, and this includes the Mavericks, where everyone's individuality is embraced, but their energy is united behind the team's goals. And the way he summarized the team values at Harlequins using the word true, which stood for tempo, ruthless, unpredictable, and enjoyment, and how enjoyment was crucial to fueling their success as a team. I enjoyed this conversation with Connor a lot, and I hope you do too. The Great Coaches Podcast. Connor O'Shea, good afternoon and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm pretty good. Connor, really simple question to kick off. Where are you in the world and what have you been up to today? As you could say, in my little prison at home, like the rest of the world, like meeting after meeting, Zoom call after Zoom call, just looking forward to probably getting back to normality. At least, at least we're looking now, some rugby back on the screens and we've got the prospect of more rugby coming back with the new test match schedule for the the teams in the autumn test series the nation's cup kind of principle that they're going to be playing and gradually i think a bit like a, a boxer groggily getting off the canvas the sport in general is beginning to get off but it's significant challenges ahead financially on and off the pitch um competitively in terms of people's development and i'm not just talking about the top end you've got a group of kids that are growing up and they've missed and will missed the bones of a year of sporting development but the, the knock-on effect of what we've gone through is going to be felt for quite a while no, it definitely, definitely has to, but I can't wait to get the sport back on the TV. So I will make sure that in this interview, we cover off all the essentials, but I end on time so that you can get back out to training and organise all those players to get ready for the games. We leave that to, we leave that to the, the well-qualified people. I'll watch from the sidelines. <laughs> well, you are indeed well-qualified, Connor, and we're going to get into that today through your experience because you've coached in multiple countries around the world. But I wanted to just kick off with winding the clock back a little bit, if I could, because you've had some first-hand experience of some of the really great coaches, Warren Gatland, Eddie Jones, Joe Schmidt, and this is, this is just the tip of the iceberg. What is it you think these great coaches do differently that sets them apart? Well, that's a great question. I think they're constantly learning and evolving. Obviously, they have a confidence in themselves. And I think each and every one, and lockdown has provided us all with huge opportunities hasn't it, to talk to people that you wouldn't have in different sports or different businesses and industries. And you know, I've been fortunate with the Rugby Football Union. They've asked myself and Eddie to talk to different coaches and around the world. It's been really interesting talking even to their experiences of moments in time which shape your career. And that can be the same in life. You can pinpoint the moments that come along and that kind of say, well, if I could have gone this direction or that direction. I think back, would you believe a phone box in Bangor in Wales? That's a long way ago. Could you tell us about that phone box? A phone box. So I was due to go leave school. I'd actually decided to do a degree in banking and finance or business and finance with a language. And I wanted to do it in Wales. Don't ask me why. Bangor was a really good place to go. And I rang home from this phone box, I was just about to sign on the dotted line for the, the digs for my first year in college. And I rang home and my dad, God rest his soul, he says, we've just got your offer through for university in Dublin and it's your first choice. And if I hadn't made that phone call from that phone box, I'd have signed and I'd have gone to Wales and done my. So where would your life have gone with that one decision? 
and it's the same in sport. Every, every time you you do something, you've probably you've said you listened to a couple of the podcasts myself and Eddie. We've asked loads of coaches about their sliding door moments, moments that your life was going to go one way or the other, and that's one of mine. Your life is littered with those turns. Some of them take you in a good direction, and some of them take you in a bad direction. Can I talk about your father actually? Because in preparing for today, I see that he was a he's in the Kerry football team, and he was a three-time All Ireland champion. So I'm imagining his influence must have found its way into your coaching style and philosophy. Yes, obviously. He's probably the biggest influence I had in my life. And he, he passed away just under two years ago. And um, you, there's not a day that didn't go by that you don't think about him, like any father and son. We just grew up in a house where, A, we're never going to be professional. And the game just went professional at a good time for me. So he and my mother encouraged and encouraged us to head towards education because education led to your career, led to your life, as opposed to sport being it. Now, I was young enough, it just tipped into professionalism and you knew it. So I was able to kind of change that direction. My two brothers are doing the proper work of doctors. So he encouraged, but he also gave us a massive love for all sport. So that's where I'd probably come. I look now and you never hark back, do you, on my days were the best days and everything. The one thing that the you love people to have the opportunity to do now, young kids, is just to play sport the way we used to for the enjoyment and I think there's so much pressure put on kids from such a young age now not just to achieve but to achieve because their parents want them to just let them enjoy and find their own way that's what my dad would have said that's what he encouraged he encouraged that side of our lives to really enjoy all sport get stuck in and I mean obviously he had a bit of a competitive edge in him as well what are the values that are really central to your style as a coach? Well, we sat down, and this goes back again a while with Harlequins, with the players, when I went in there in 2010, and we sat down as a group and said, you know, what do you want out of the, the game? They talked about values. They also talked about how they wanted to play the game. And the how they wanted to play the game, it always sticks in my head, is thing of, uh, it always comes back to how you want to play the game. So they wanted to play with tempo. They wanted to be ruthless. They wanted to be unpredictable in how they played. But their big one, enjoyment. That funny little acronym came out to be true. And they said, we just want to be true to our values. True, tempo, ruthless, unpredictable enjoyment. And enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Now, people sometimes say enjoyment doesn't mean you want to win. Oh, rubbish. Like You want to win every single time you lace a boot and play, whether it be tiddlywinks or whether it be a game of rugby at the very highest level or the game of golf against your best mate, you want to win. That's inbred in people. But if you don't enjoy what you do, you're not going to be successful. Do you know, again, since you mentioned my dad early on, he, he said to me one of his advice is, if you can't walk away, don't do it. If you're so all-consumed by something that that is, listen, no one way is the right way. And what I believe doesn't mean it's right, but it's how you want to live your life. And you ask, the first question you ask is, what do Joe and Joe Smith and Eddie Jones and Warren Gatland and all these great coaches have in common? They're themselves. So they learn from loads of people. They learn from their growth. They learn from experience. They take all those learnings, but they never change who they are. It's when you try and be an imposter. So if the way you want to live your life is, I don't want to enjoy it, and I'm just going to be successful because if I enjoy it, I'm showing weakness. If that's you, fine. If you're acting that, then you're just an imposter. So I know how I want to live my life. I know the values I have. If that's good enough and people like it, fine. And if they don't, they don't. But I'm not going to be somebody I'm not. That's probably the biggest thing that you see in those 
really elite coaches. Though, like there's a very, very small select few of Steve Hansen, Joe Smith, that type, Eddie Jones. There are very few that are in that stratosphere of coaching. Um, there's a lot of mere mortals. There's a few that are, I suppose you could call them the super coaches. Um, and they're very special. Connor, can I head off in a different direction, actually, from values? I'd like to head into culture because after Harlequins, you went off and you were the national director at the English Institute of Sport and you were credited with shifting the culture of the organisation. So I'm interested to know if you were giving advice to someone on trying to improve the culture within their team, what would you tell them to do first? My mind has shifted on this magic word of culture. Look down, everyone has their books, don't they? I've got my the legacy book down there that everyone has. You know, the, the, you get it there, the all black book, everyone has it, and you know, everyone's read it. And you read about culture the whole time. And I've kind of shifted on that. And I've, I've shifted on it, not that it's not pivotal or important, but I've shifted since I moved to Italy. And I think culture is more the environment you create and the environment you create is the people in it. And yes, you talk about values and all these other things, but it's creating an environment creates a culture. And every culture is also, and this is why I'm talking to you, you're in Prague. Um, you've now bought into a different country, different to where you're from. So do they dumb down to you or do you dumb down to them? Which way does it work? You have to embrace their culture and there are things they'll do differently. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but they'll do it differently. You might be looking going, gee, why do you work like this? Or why does your school run like that? Or why do the shops close here? And But it's a culture that they have cultivated and you need to buy into those things. And I think one of the joys I had for my close to four years with Italy was just learning all those idiosyncrasies, getting really irritated at the start going, can't believe this, can't believe that, can't believe they close for two weeks in August. And when they say they close, they close. I can't believe that you get a bit of paper walking out of every building. I can't. And actually then you say, no, I have to, I have to embrace this because that's there. I'm sure there are people who go over to Ireland and go, what the hell are they doing over here? What do you do in England? What, what happens in Scotland? So what's the advice? Embrace the culture that's there. And the culture is the people. And then you work on how you make that better but don't go in and thinking you can rip up especially in international coaching um i sat down with eddie month one or two in my job in italy I, i'd finished the season with quinn's gone straight on tour to america canada argentina with the italian team came back to england to shift over so to speak it was a real whirlwind but i, I made time and had a coffee with eddie and i asked him about his time in japan I didn't want to talk to him about Australia, England, and how he was found. And I wanted to find out, it was the same when I met Steve Hansen. Um, I talked to him about his time in Wales, not his time in New Zealand, because you wanted to learn what people, how they got on when they actually shifted countries, as opposed to anything. So I think a bit of an understanding of that, um, rather than thinking you need to rip it up, because there are so many good things in everywhere, in every place. And really defining what culture means, Paul, would be the biggest thing. Um, it's not just in a book, you know, just read the pamphlet and create a culture. I think that's fair enough. From that experience then, so you put yourself in that environment in Italy, you've come back to the England, you're not coaching full-time now, but I imagine that you will again. How is that Italian experience going to change your approach to your next coaching role? I'm really excited by the role I have. It's a long-term role anyway because if eddie is focused on 2023 and simon middleton the women's coach on 2021 the union has to be looking at 25 and 27 29 and 31 and that really excites me i know my first time in the union was over nearly 14 15 years ago now but 
I still look at some of the players that are still playing that you meet. So you reap what you sow and the work that we do now will be benefiting people in 10, 15 years time. But that's an aside. I think it's an incredibly, I have so much respect for the people who do it because it's rewarding, but stressful and all consuming. When you're a family or you get to a stage that you look and you say, my 10 year old has known nothing other than me and Quinn's and Italy and every week it being dependent on the result and there's the time away at weekends which you'll still have and I'll still have in this role but not to the extent that when you're the coach you are there first and you are gone last and then the following day is not a day off it's a review it's find out about the injuries it's get ready and prepared so that when you're in a Monday you're in there with a clear plan of action to some say it's easy when you win it's easy when you win well it's not when you're winning you have to keep that motivation of everyone and keep feet on the ground when you're losing you have to retain motivation and at times you have to give motivation and you bring that energy even if you're feeling pretty down yourself so you dust yourself down you get on with us and yeah i think there's a time in your life for that and there's a time in your life that you uh, want something different now did that mean i don't go down to the local club and stick on a pair of boots far from it love doing it i've been invited to do a few things and i did a, a coaching week with at a holiday camp That's, that was my holiday coaching kids for a couple of hours every morning because it's that's the fun part. So you never want to lose that. But no, the, the likes of um, your Rob Baxter's, Richard Cockerell's and Mark McCall's and Eddie's and they're welcome to it now. All right. Well, let me talk about results then. Let's wind back to Italy because when you started there, you had great early success. You beat South Africa. But after that, you know, success against the tier one countries was limited. And I'm really curious to know, how did you help that team stay motivated and moving forward when they were continually losing on the scoreboard? That's where you have to have a pretty clear vision of what you're playing for. I don't think we came in and, and no one in Italy is ever saying they're going to be disappointed. We had a couple of opportunities for big scalps that we didn't take. Um, probably won the games that we, bar one game at home, which was Tonga, which we lost in the last minute. Every game we should have won, we won. So we had opportunities, uh, whether that be going out to the wire against Argentina and Fiji, but we did beat Fiji as well as lose to Fiji. Going to Japan and winning in Japan, people probably said the year before the World Cup, won all with Japan and Japan. Well, actually, retrospectively, going there and doing that is actually, it was a good result. So sometimes we didn't celebrate those successes. Um, keeping people on task and saying, well, what are you playing for? We very clearly as a team said, yeah, we want to win now. And every game, and Sergio is incredible. His motivation to win was just beyond comprehension. And like, he dusts himself down and be ready with the same energy every week. I'd say he will be until he turns 100. He'd want to do it. But we also were clear and said, we're playing for the future. And we're playing to give the youth a future. And Steve Abood, Franco Ascioni, two guys out there are doing an unbelievable job with some of the young players that are coming up. Does that mean they're world-beating World Cup winners? No. No one in Italy ever says they're going to do that. But they're assembling aside Kieran Crowley and Treviso, Michael Bradley in Zebra. There's a different mindset of people and I think that's something we've shifted uh, in that period. Did I want to win? Of course. But I said to Sergio, if in 10, 15 years' time we're sitting having a beer, having a Peroni in with you, since that's what you've got, um, if we're sitting having a beer in, in the stadio in 10, 15 years' time, we've contributed to that journey. That's your job in sport. Is it ego-driven that you want to win the whole time? Yes, but there's some things that are greater than that. And that's what we kept on reflecting and referring to. We're playing for the future. You know, our performances in the World Cup, I know we, the typhoon knocked us out of the New Zealand game. 
and we had the, the disappointment of South Africa and our, our props <laughs> falling apart in front of us again, he said, said off. But those first two games and the way we played against Namibia and Canada, yes, games we should win and we won. But we won with such comfort and such ease and scored so many good tries. I, I think the, the game has moved on and everyone in Italy knew we are making progress, but they also see this raft of young players. And I just hope COVID and the financial issues won't impact on what you know is coming up behind. Does that mean they'll win the Six Nations in next year? No, for, of course not. But more and more competitive. And that, that keeps you going despite the losses. Well, actually, your influence was already starting to be visible because Benetton pushed through and made the first Italian side to make the Pro 14. And some of that was credited to what you put in place. The credit there, Kieran Crowley is the ex-All Black, has done an unbelievable job there. Marco Bortolami, Fabio Angaro, Ezio Gallon, uh, Marius Cousin, who was on the coaching team with me with Italy doing the defence. Blokes, Kieran had played in Italy years ago, but the other four just steeped in Italian rugby. Marius has been at Treviso for years, uh, all the, the other three Italian internationals. But you see the same, and I know they moved on but at the time last year when Michael surrounded himself with you know people like Alessandro Troncon and, and those guys, Carlo Orlandi, and they're good, passionate, but also very forward-thinking. So Italian rugby is in, in good hands. I think it made a lot of mistakes. It was probably more professional in the amateur era, which is why the success was there. I know it's a terrible thing to say, professional in the amateur era, but it's the, the fact. And struggled with, like a lot of countries, with professionalism. And over the years, then, as the greats retired, so when they went into professionalism, they had this team with a lot of greats and household names. And then as professionalism went, they went out of it and struggled just to get back up, despite people like John Kerwin and Nick Mallet and Pierre Busier, great coaches, Jacques Brunel, working within. But the infrastructure behind um, was just making it more and more difficult to be competitive. So as the professionalism dragged on, I think that rot is now turning. And I look and, and see the number of quality young players. And it's a, it's a game that's just made for Italian people, if you think of it. It's footballing, it's passionate, it's aggressive, um, it's emotional. Um, it's made for Italian people. And it's a fabulous rugby country, the north of Italy. And I know it's growing in the south and, and stuff, but you go along that A4 corridor up the north of Italy and every town has a rugby club. And there's a, some great club rivalries, whether it be Rovigo against Calvasano or Rovigo against Padova. And it's Petrarca. There's some great matches to go along to. I, I just hope they continue to improve and these young players push through. But Stephen Booth and Franco Ascone, they've done a brilliant job. Connor, the teams that you've coached, you know, just researching them and reading about them, they feel aligned. Like they feel like they're moving against a common vision. And so it makes me wonder, how do you manage or how have you, what tips or advice have you got on managing the negative influence within teams that so often can derail a successful team? I don't think it does come down to alignment and everyone wanting very few environments. If you've got people who are completely, it's a strange one. You're going to have Mavericks who kind of are against the establishment, but sometimes those Mavericks can be the players that make the difference and you want them in your team. Um, But as long as those Mavericks don't pull all your kind of workers, doers are 
the ultimate for every team is to have world-class talent with world-class personality and attitude, isn't it? And then you've got the perfect team, don't you? But that, that's not the way the world works, unfortunately. So you've got to have a mix and that variety is good at times as well. So you embrace that variety, you embrace the individualism, uh, but you hope that the alignment towards that common goal that everyone wants is the same and is right and you keep on pushing it I remember my wife saying to me about Chris Robshaw once he, she heard him interviewed after a game and she said oh my god that could be you speaking and I went well that's quite that's quite nice of you actually nice thing she said but it was nice in the sense that we were all speaking the same language and that's important so whether that be Italy Quinns but whatever team in your business if you're all speaking the same language then you know you're on a decent track easier said than done though unfortunately um, yeah but if people don't want to join in, they leave. And maybe that's where sport is slightly different to day-to-day. You have that ability to be to pick and choose, probably in a less legalistic manner. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's switch over to innovation because you do have a reputation as being an innovative coach, particularly after the ruckless tactic, the infamous ruckless tactic. But curious on what stops more coaches from being innovative because it doesn't seem to be coming through as much these days as it has been in the past, or it could just be my aging perception of the world of sport. I don't know. I mean, I'm not that, that Ruckgate or Ruckless friend inventor, a very imaginative mind. And we all sat around and we agreed this was worth the roll of the dice. And we did it. I think it showed from certainly an Italian perspective that if you do things differently, you can get different results. We didn't win the game, but we we're much more competitive. And we did it in a way that shows change can make a difference. I think a lot of it, the innovation is fear of failure and fear of ridicule. If you do something different, I remember a friend of mine, I've said this a million times, probably a friend of mine rang me, he'll kill me from, from Dublin one day. And he said, I'm coaching my kid, his, his son's under 11s or under 12s team. I want to do something different. What do you think I should do? And I said, why don't you get them to play the whole year kicking off their wrong foot? And he went, I can't do that. And I said, why not? He said, well, we lose every game. And I said, yeah, but you'll give them a skill for life. They'll be two-footed. I went, no. I said, well, then why did you ring me? <laughs> but imagine if you had that imagine if you decided to do that as a young coach to, to hell with results I want to make sure every player I have is two-footed what a skill that would be but do we think like that and I'm not saying I'd do that either by the way <laughs> I'm not saying that but if you think differently Brian Ashton's an amazing he's probably one of the best thinkers of the game and he'd always say that we've got things slightly wrong our best coaches should be coaching the, our youngest and vice versa because the more you get higher up the more it's about management lower down if you can teach people 
the right technique early, think of your golf swing, think of the glitches in your golf swing. If you've been taught right when you're young, then you wouldn't have some of these slice problems and hook problems. But you kind of self-taught yourself and then it's too late to change. And it's the same with this. So I think just having the ability to say it's the fear of failure is at the window and the fear of ridicule is at the window and you never know. Connie, you talked earlier about your emotional state being linked to the performance of the team. And when you left Italy, you said, look, it's been 10 years of Queens and Italy back to back. And so I'm wondering if I could wind all the way back to that young, young person that started coaching London Irish all those years ago. What advice would you give that person about coaching? <laughs> I'd have stayed in banking and finance. I love what I do. Listen, my passion is my, my hobby is my job. So it's not very difficult to get emotional about it. I think what happened for the people who are closest to me and who know me really well is I'm all in or not in. And I know when I get to a stage that enough is enough. Like you get every piece of me when I'm doing a job. That last couple of games, we had built so hard for that World Cup. And with Italy, for example, the same the same with Quinns. You kind of know you reach that stage that emotionally I have given everything I can. And I need that to be targeted in some other direction. So the only advice would be bad advice because it would be to care less. But then if I cared less, then I wouldn't be doing the job. I won't say it was. I remember someone in my early days at Quinn's telling me that I took things to heart too much at times. And I said, with respect, if I didn't, you'd have the wrong person. I think if you create that, but then do you have the same? It comes back to the very first thing I said, be yourself. And if myself is emotional, and I get an emotional attachment with people and stuff, then so be it. That's me. If other people are cold, great. If that's you, be you. Connor, you talked at the start, you know, about learning. And when I was preparing for today, I see that you've, your coaching has been influenced by tennis, but you've also taken inspiration from football and all the different Olympic sports. I was just wondering, in the last six months, when we've had all this extra time and we've been in lockdown, whether there has been anything that you found particularly interesting or useful? It's amazing. I think we've probably learnt how to learn and here we are you're in Prague I'm in London but we might as well be down the road from each other and our ability to actually cut out a lot of the whether it be the travel I've had this debate with my wife quite a bit now recently if you're I'm going to say our age I'm probably doing you a big disservice so apologies but if you're our generation you've got your network of people and you know how to work around and navigate. So the physical face-to-face meetings aren't as pivotal for us in growing our careers. We can do these sort of things, but there's a balance to be had when you're young that you need to have the physical, you need to have the coffee meetings, you need to, so, and there's a balance for us as well of being physical as well as, as virtual. But I think the balance for younger people is they need to get out there and they need to meet people because that's how you develop your network and understand how to get on with things. So I think that's what I've seen, just a breaking down of barriers of how we learn and how we improve ourselves by having forums that are a little bit different um, and be very comfortable doing that. When we were talking to Eddie, he talked about the fact that he thinks some of the younger players in the team are losing their conversation skills and therefore they're losing their ability to resolve conflict. And so I think the comment of getting away from screens and talking to people is, is vital, absolutely vital. He says, well, talking on a screen to a man in England. Yeah, again, you go back to culture and one of the first things that really struck me on my very first trip away with Italy um, was dinner. 
and sitting down and the team room, eight o'clock dinner starts and you'd have these kind of windows for people. Eight o'clock, practically everyone was there. Um, but the windows from eight to nine, but they sat, the Italians sat and ate and talked. And I was waiting for these young fellas to be back up to their rooms on their devices. But the culture in Italy is such that you do, you sit at your dinner table together. You enjoy each other's company. You talk to each other a bit like the old days. You don't just, how quickly can I eat my dinner and get back to the TV? It doesn't work like that there. It's not a learning, but it's something we all need to do. So when you say get away from your device, that's what you mean. And I think a lot, you say lockdown, a lot of families have probably spent time at dinner together again because they've been around and we know when sport wasn't there it's now kind of back to the you know things are not back to normal but they're quarter normal not even semi-normal but there's more of family spending time together which has been great uh, it definitely has it's been a gift Connor. just a couple more questions you've been pretty generous with your time and it's getting on for beer o'clock actually but but one question is what's been your greatest moment so far as a coach unfair question I've got an easy one for you if you like. Yeah, but it's an unfair question is because I could be really boring, but there are so many occasions and that can be good and bad. The easy thing is beating South Africa, Italy, winning the Premiership with Quinns, winning the Paragen Cup with London Irish, looking back at all the good moments. But it's the unseen moments of selflessness from people on a pitch and what they do um, for the team from the outside people don't see. It's the dummy run that creates the space one gets the glory but the team has actually the team has succeeded it's the bloke who runs 50 yards to allow someone to cut inside him and it's the next person that makes the tackle but if he hadn't committed to selling himself the guy would have scored in the corner instead of cutting inside so people say, oh he missed the tackle no he allowed us to make the tackle and i love looking for the bits that no one sees. It's that selflessness as opposed to what ultimately wins you the premiership. And I think back to a blustery Kingston Park when Nick Evans kicks a goal to I think level the game, or I think of a try from a guy called Ross Chisholm in Gloucester, which gets us a losing bonus point in the second minute of injury time. But that losing bonus point ends up being the reason that you've got a home semi-final. And that home semi-final is the reason you get to the final. Do you know, it's piecing together everything rather than just looking for the glory. So that's why it's an unfair question. Connor, one last question, if I can. And again, it's probably an unfair one, but I'm going to lead with it anyway. Because there's this great quote where you say, you borrow the jersey of the team you're coaching, you don't own it. So I'd like to ask you, what is the, the legacy you think you've left as a coach? Unfair question again. I don't know. I don't know because that's for other people to decide. But I think it's a very cliched line, but it's cliches are only there because they're the truth. Anytime, it's a bit like I said, my conversation with Sergio. My conversation with Sergio was in a little coffee shop in Paris. I said to him at the time, my, it was probably August of 2016, August, September 2016. Um, we had done the first tour. He hadn't been part of it. I wanted to meet him. And all I said to him was, a, we could beat South Africa in 2016 because I knew they were there for the taking. So let's buy into that one. And B, the next four years are not about us. It's about creating a future for Italian rugby. That's all we're in this for. And then we'll see you 10 years down the road at the beer and hopefully we'll have played a part in this. And along the way, we'd have wanted more wins, but that's our job. Are you still up for it? And boy, he's still up for it and still going. <laughs> but 
And I think that's what you mean by borrowing that jersey. It's always try in anything to leave it in a better place. If I feel that I've contributed to memories for people and hopefully left something in a better place, then I'm happy and I'll leave other people judge that. Connor O'Shea, it's been fantastic chatting to you. Thank you so much. Hope you uh, enjoy the season ahead and English rugby does really well, but not as well as the Wallabies. Thank you very much. That was good. Great. Thank you very much for that. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here, and you have been listening to the great coach, Connor O'Shea. Some of the key highlights for me were his view on the importance of, in his words, throwing fear of failure and ridicule out the window if you want to innovate. The importance of maintaining, retaining, and giving motivation to the team despite the scoreboard result, and how the elite coaches that he has experienced have taught him the importance of being authentic and not trying to be someone you are not. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. And just before we go, if you are one of the people who has listened to our podcast in one of the 50,000 times it has been played, do you have any feedback, an element of leadership that you would like us to explore, or know a great coach that you think we should interview, then please let us know. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.